of times where I could say, I was really mad at this person, and this person has all these problems, and this is why this person annoys me, and this person, and this person, and this person, I can spend the whole session talking about them, but the therapist isn't there to evaluate them, she's there to help me, right? I do a little, like, mental pre-work before I get there of, like, how am I going to frame this so that it's beneficial for me? Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today's episode is a little bit extra special because it's the first one that I recorded in person with my guest. All of the other episodes so far I recorded over Skype, so this was the first time that I sat down face-to-face with my guest, and it was really special. My friend Jess Gaeta is a really funny, down-to-earth, kind welcoming person. She's the type of person who's, you know, her front door is always open. She's always hosting people, making lots of food, making sure everyone's comfortable, just being a really great Italian mother to everyone. Um, She and her husband, Alex, uh, are both just super kind and welcoming. And now they have a little baby, Addie. So now she really is an Italian mother. Jess and I, in our book club, uh, we're always like talking about our therapists and things our therapists have said and our relationships with our therapists. Jess has been seeing hers for about 10 years, I think. So I really wanted to talk to her about therapy and how it can change our lives for the better, um, what it's like to be in a long-term relationship with a therapist. (laughs) And I talk a bit about what it's like to try to find a new therapist and to essentially be like dating new therapists and how do you break it off and um, how do you make it official, things like that. Jess has a lot to share about what it means to face adversity and to be resilient and to bring humor to really dark and tragic things. Her parents both passed away by the time she was 20. Um, She was 13 when her dad died of a heart attack and she was 20 when her mom passed away after a battle with cancer. And not only is Jess just such a warm, kind person, but now she works for the American Cancer Society, helping people who have cancer and helping their families every day. She's just the real deal. She's got a lot of good insight to share in this episode. And um, whether you have been in therapy for years or you've thought about it and uh, have been a little scared about, about diving in, I think you'll enjoy this episode, and if you are struggling and you do feel like you need help, um, I just want to mention that one good resource is to go to Psychology Today, go to their Find a Therapist directory, and you can find people in your area. You know, if you have insurance, you can can filter by, you know, insurance and different um, types of therapy, because as we talk about today, everyone's needs are different, and you have to go with the person and the approaches that are right for you. So there are some heavy topics, but because it's Jess, you know, there's also laughter and um, hope, I think. So enjoy. Jess, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And to your house. (laughs) Thanks. I'm so (laughs) glad you're here. (laughs) Okay. So this is my first time recording live with a person every other time has been over Skype and not even with the video just with audio um so I feel a little nervous because I've never like done these one of these conversations like looking at someone's face (laughs) and having someone look at my face looking in each other's eyes it's like um more vulnerable I feel like 
So. Well, I made some chocolate chip cookies so we can eat our feelings. <laughs> and we have some tea. <laughs> so, so if I think you hear slurping or a little bit of nibbling, <laughs> it's tea and cookies, for which I am eternally grateful. <laughs> um, okay. So, so you and I met through our book club. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one book club you telling us that you had made an orphan joke at work, I think, that someone didn't appreciate. Yeah, 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 it didn't go over well. (laughs) But I feel like that really kind of, uh, I remember just really, really appreciating that you shared that with us because that's like a good example of how you, of your sense of humor, but also the fact that you, you don't just have like a really good sense of humor and, you know, making you make jokes and stuff, but you also are genuinely vulnerable with, you know, your friends and the people that you love. Like, I feel like you're really authentic as well. And I feel like it's hard to have both of those things. Um, So I'm curious to know a little bit about your, your family growing up. Like what role did humor play and who was the funniest person in your family? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, me, obviously, I was the <laughs> funniest. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> wow, I never really thought about my family and, and the humor surrounding my family. I think that, um, if I had to categorize it as like, it was a very larger than life type feeling in my family. Like everybody was loud and talking and laughing and, Um, I think, you know, my dad had a very, um, the best way to describe it is like, he reminded me of, he was like a ham. Like, you know, he was always the person, you know, cracking a sarcastic joke and like nudging someone in the, in the arm, like as he made it. And, um, my mom was just very like over the top and kind of like the life of the party. I think both of them were in a way. Um, we used to joke that when people would come into the room, they would go to my mother first. Like she was like the godfather, you know, they had to go and pay the respects, like, you know, kiss her hello first. She was like the matriarch of the family. Um, and so I think both of my parents kind of held court in their own way, um, with their different senses of humor. Like, even Mm -hmm. though they were both had different, um, style of humor. My dad was much more dry and sarcastic and my mom was more just kind of like loud and over the top. Mm -hmm. Um, and my sister is more serious. She's funny, but she's more serious, I think, than I am. Um, and so that's always an interesting dynamic as well. And she's older and it's just the two of you, right? Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was your mom, dad, older sister, and you. Yes. Um, and your dad passed away when you were 18? 13. Oh, 13. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that's much younger than I realized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I was 13 and he was 47. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then your mom passed when you were like 21? I was 20. Oh, yep, 13 20. and 20. Mm-hmm. So, so actually that was the joke that I made yes. was that technically I wasn't an orphan and people didn't <laughs> right. really appreciate the nuance because <laughs> I made a joke. I was like, well, I was kind of like an orphan, but not really, um, you know, because by age I was 20 and not 18. So yeah. I wasn't really technically an orphan. So the joke was that I missed it by a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> which is, see, I thought was funny. Other people did not. <laughs> I find that so interesting because it's like, like that question of who gets to make what jokes mm. and like who gets to laugh at them. Yeah. yeah. Um, was humor, were you, did you, did you find humor 
even in the midst of like the hardest moments or is that something that comes later on for you? Um, I think it, I think some of it came later on, um, for sure. Um, I think some of it in the moment, um, definitely felt something, you know, I have this really funny story of, I remember I tell this story all the time and it was hysterical to me. Um, my mom was getting chemo. She had cancer and we were sitting in this room and it was open. If you've ever been to an outpatient chemotherapy room, it's, you know, multiple people receiving their chemotherapy. So there's like recliners and typically like an IV and there's space for your caregivers or people to sit with you. And so it's like this open room and I will never forget it. I was in college at the time and my mom is sitting there and she's, I think she's asleep and I look over next to her and there's a couple and the man is praying and the woman's reading the Bible. And so like, this is kind of the scene. And my mom just opens like one eye and then closes it. I'm like, oh God, something's coming. So she looks at me, she goes, I think you should go to the doctor. And I'm like, what do you mean? I feel fine. She's like, I think you need to go to the doctor. And I'm like, I, why do I have to go to the doctor? She goes, well, I think you need to go to the doctor because if you're having sex and you're not going to the doctor, then you're just stupid. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there now in the middle of a room with all of these people who have cancer. And she's talking to me about my college sex life. So I go to her mom. I don't really think we need to talk about this right now. Like, let's talk about this another time. And she just starts screaming. Well, if you're having sex and you can't even talk about it, then you shouldn't be having sex. And now the whole room is just staring at me. And I'm just more mortified so I mean in that moment yes I found that very funny (laughs) um but I think now looking back on it it's more um like funny in the fact that like things are ironic or like funny Mm -hmm. given the context or the circumstances um and I don't know I I find it funny I think that there is humor even in the darkest of times Mm -hmm. and so I think that that's some of the stuff that comes to mind when I think about those anecdotes Mm -hmm. you know when you, I remember you saying to me that your mom really instilled in you and your sister like a sense of kind of like no matter, like if something goes wrong, get back up and like mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Like was that something that she instilled from a really young age and like how did she kind of give that message or how did yeah. she, did she model it for you guys? Yeah, I think it was both. I mean, my mother had a really interesting upbringing herself. She was one of seven. She grew up in Brooklyn in a time when Brooklyn wasn't really that great of a place to grow up, and they didn't really have a lot of money. And her parents also died when she was very young. Um, So I'm not sure the exact age, but um, basically a lot of my aunts and uncles kind of attribute my mom to raising them um, because their parents were either sick or had passed away at a very early age. And so... Growing up, like, without a lot of money, having to take a significant role in your family early, she just really kind of had this attitude of, like, life might be difficult, but you kind of have to pick up and keep going. Um, she never was, she always acknowledged, like, her feelings about it and talked, like, she wasn't dismissive of people who went through difficult times and just kind of said, like, pick yourselves up. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't that type of attitude. Um, it was much more like you need to see the positive in things and, you know, face that adversary, adversity and kind of overcome it. So I think like 
she would tell us a lot of stories about growing up and how she had to do that. And then um, I think also just modeling it, you know, when my dad died, she worked two jobs and, you know, me and my sister still didn't like want for anything. Like she always provided that stuff for us, even though, you know, things were difficult for her. So mm-hmm. I think she was both like she modeled it, but also kind of told us through her own history about how she did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did your dad have, I don't know, was he a similar example in that way? Um, so my dad also had a really interesting background. Um, he was a recovered alcoholic and was an Alcoholics Anonymous, and so he kind of struggled a lot with um, that. Um, and in terms of parenting, I think he kind of really taught us a lot about, you know, being, like, it's important to do things in life that are meaningful to you. Um, and I remember, like, he would always say to us, like, I don't care if you become a garbage man, but just, like, love being a garbage man. Like, you need to, like, love the things you do and, like, appreciate, like, life in that way and the chances that you're given in that way. Um, so I think when... So he was a lot... I was a lot younger when he died, so my mom would tell me this story, but she would talk about how he was, like, a maintenance supervisor at the New York Stock Exchange, but, like, you would have thought he was, like, the president of the United States. Like, he took his job, like, incredibly seriously, and he, like, loved his job, Um, and he had, like, a really strong work ethic, so I think he taught us a lot about, like, taking opportunities and making sure that, like, you make the most of them, Um, and so I think he kind of came from it, like, from that perspective, like, almost that look of, like, a second chance on life. Mm. Yeah. So you work for the American Cancer Society. And I know that wasn't your first job out of college. Like you studied education. You did like a little bit of teaching for, or you taught for like a year, right? Yeah. So and I then, actually didn't study education. I was, um, oh. yeah, I was a political science and public policy major. Oh. Yeah. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do after college, um, but I got into Teach for America. So I did that for a year. And then I started working for the American Cancer Society. And I find it so interesting because I feel like, having lost a parent to cancer and like so recently I feel like some people would just want to like totally run in the opposite direction and like never have to try to not think about Mm -hmm. that and the fact that you decided to start working for the American Cancer Society like was that how did you come to that decision and, and like how do you feel about kind of being in that world versus wanting to just like, I don't know, just run in the other direction and yeah. like not think about anything having to do with it. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Cause I think that there are people in my family who have felt that like, um, like I've had people say like, well, they didn't save your mother's life. So like, how do you like reconcile that? You know, how do you work for that? But kind of taking it a step back, what ended up happening was, um, I distinctly remember this conversation. I was in college and there was a, I was a freshman and I just like wanted to make friends. And somebody came up to me and was like, we're starting this event called Relay for Life and you're loud (laughs) and we need someone to run entertainment activities at this event. Um, Would you do it? Would you, you know, join us? So I was like, yeah, sure. And I, at that point, didn't really know anyone who had been like really affected very close like that was close to me who had been infected by cancer. So this was before your this mom was before my sick. mom was diagnosed. So I started doing that and I really liked it. And it was just kind of like an activity that I did at school and I thought it was, it was great. And then she was diagnosed and I started to get much more involved. Um, and then I actually ended up interning for them at the American Cancer Society while I was in college. And then when she passed away, 
I did Teach for America, but I didn't really love it. Um, and so I went back to, I just happened to be going back to the Relay for Life that I did all throughout college. And I bumped into someone who I was who had worked with at my internship. And she was like, you know, a position just opened up. Like, do you, or do you have a job? Like, do you want to come interview for it? So I went in and I interviewed for it. And I think what was great at the time was that I was doing fundraising. Mm -hmm. And so it was this like great combination of me of like being connected to the mission of the American Cancer Society, but it wasn't that day-to-day patient interaction. So I think that would have been much more Mm -hmm. difficult for me. But with fundraising, I really see the direct correlation between the money raised and helping people affected by cancer. And so for me, it was just this really incredible outlet to give back and to feel like even though my mom had died it was something that I could now give back mm-hmm. and help other people I feel like it's such a tricky thing like the idea of making meaning out of something terrible or like mm-hmm. out of suffering so it's funny I waver a little bit I see it as if this has to happen then I need to take it and make it something positive positive. Mm-hmm. and I think like kind of what we were saying earlier about like that's how we grew up a little bit of like even if you've felt that something was difficult or you've gone through some type of adversity like like you should make the best of it and Mm -hmm. I think that that to me is kind of what that represents like working at the American Cancer Society like represents for me is that even though something bad happened I can make an impact in doing something better um it is interesting though so like I actually met my husband through the American Cancer Society Mm. and He's a cancer survivor. And sometimes, like, if they're, I'm not a romantic, but yeah. sometimes the romantic <laughs> yeah. in me is like, well, maybe this did bring us together. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, maybe there is something beautiful that can come from tragedy sometimes. And I think that that's something that I think about all the time. Like, there are times where you could be very happy, but still have a part of you that's a little sad. Mm-hmm. And there are times where you could be really sad or something tragic can happen, mm-hmm. but you can still see something positive in yeah. it. And I think that life is just gray sometimes in those ways. And so I think that working with the American Cancer Society has kind of showed me that there can be triumph in tragedy too. Mm-hmm. I tend to want to, to fall into black and white thinking of like that our culture kind of pushes on us a lot. I feel like, like mm. either like everything happens for a reason or like nothing matters. Or, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> and I feel like you do kind of walk this middle path. I feel like you're always very good. Even like our, in our book club discussions, like if one of us is falling really hard into an extreme, I feel like you're always that voice that's kind of like, well, you know, like you, you kind of see the nuance and things. So I'm interested to hear you talk about, um, kind of what you were saying, it gives me that sense of like, it's not that you believe that this terrible thing happened for a reason, but that if it had to happen, then you're going to choose to do X, Y, or Z with it. Yeah. I think it is a little bit of that, of just like, you can spend a lot of time questioning why, but that's not always productive. And I think, I mean, to some extent, again, you have to acknowledge your feelings. And I think that it's really difficult if you don't acknowledge your feelings and then you try and just move on. Like I'm not suggesting that that's the way to go because I think that a lot of people end up, you know, struggling. Like I know people who have lost parents and then 20 years later, they're finally addressing it. Mm -hmm. And then they're struggling to address those feelings because they never dealt with them. So I'm not saying that I didn't 
deal with my feelings and I continue to deal with my feelings about my parents. But I think for me, it's always like, well, I need to just at least make something productive out of Mm. this. Um, And that's kind of, I think, how I use it. Um, But then I read a really interesting book. So actually, when my mom died, someone gifted me When Bad Things Happen to Good People, Mm. that kind of book that's pretty famous, I guess. And so he references it in a spiritual way, but I don't think you have to necessarily take it in spiritual ways, but this metaphor always kind of stuck out in my head. And so he was talking similarly about, um, it was a, it's a rabbi who wrote the book and he was talking about how there was a couple he was counseling. And I think that they experienced the death of a child, like a young child. And they kept saying like, why would God do this to me? Like, why would he, you know, or whoever do this to me? Um, and he, he kind of gave this, Um, visual of like when you look at the front of a quilt it's beautiful and it's like this masterpiece and everything makes sense but when if you actually turn a quilt over it's just Mm. all these like messed up interwoven threads some are long some are short and some lead nowhere and some weave through the whole thing and it's just like you if you were to look at the back of a quilt you couldn't make anything Mm. out of it and he kind of makes that analogy about like your life like the way you're looking at it you can't see the bigger picture on the other side Mm. um he likens that spirituality and god and so that's where people can interpret that however they want but to me that's always stuck out in my head of just like I don't think that I can control everything, but there are aspects that maybe I can have an impact on. And Mm -hmm. so like, I don't really know where I fall into this like quilt of life, but I think that to me, maybe there's just more to it that I don't see. Mm. So that's kind of how I always like picture it in my head. And you were so young, like being 13 and losing a parent, like that's already such a tumultuous time. Like in such a, like you have so many feelings, like just about your homework and like your (laughs) pimples and whatever, like, yeah. And the school dance. So, like, what did you um, did you see like a counselor or a therapist or anything like that when you were thirteen? Like when you were going through yeah. that loss? Or? Yeah. So that was like particularly. I say all the time that. So I spent more time with my mother, and I was very similar to my mother. So if I think I had to say I was closer to one parent over the other, it would be my mother. But I think I struggled more with the loss of my father because I was so young. And um, my parents had actually been going through like a separation at the time. And so I was already very angry Mm -hmm. and I was already very 13 (laughs) and like very much in that phase where like anything would make you angry. And so then he died and there wasn't really any reconciliation to any of that. And so it was sudden. Yeah, he had a heart attack. Um, And so I think that that was really a struggle for me because I never got to have those conversations with him or just be an adult with him. I think that's like, I think all the time now, like it would be (laughs) so interesting to like be an adult with him. Um, so I did go to counseling, um, at that time, but it also felt to be honest, a little forced. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of felt like at the time, like, again because I was angry like well this was like my dad's fault like why am I here like Mm. I didn't do anything you know and so I think for me I really felt like therapy was more helpful when I was ready to go Mm -hmm. Um, did it feel like a punishment when you were 13 yeah I think so yeah it did um (laughs) I remember actually like 
my mom would take me and we would play this like 60s medley song CD on the way home because it was like the only thing that would like cheer me up was like Mm -hmm. (laughs) singing along to cheesy 60s songs because I just like hated going Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think there's actually not much that I even remember Mm -hmm. gaining from that experience um, that I could recall yeah what did feel the most helpful during that time Hmm. I think um, hmm. that's a good question. During that time, it was a long time ago. I think the I think the support of like friends mm-hmm. and family have always been um, two of the biggest factors um, that I've been lucky. Like there are a lot of people who have experienced what I've experienced or worse, and they don't have that support system. And I think mm-hmm. that has I value like my friendships and my family pretty highly because mm-hmm. of like what they've experienced with me um, going through some of those things. Yeah. So I would say probably that. Did you, being 13, like, did you, were there times when you were like, no one gets this, no one's helping enough? Or did you really kind of, feel, were you able to feel like love from people and feel their support? Um, Mm. I think, yeah, I think I just felt actually a lot of anger at the time. Um, and I think I just felt like I didn't want to deal with it. Like I remember thinking like almost in a weird way, a relief that he died because it was just like, okay, now that's done. And it wasn't Mm. until like much later on that, I started to like actually miss the relationship. Mm -hmm. So I just almost like felt like it wasn't a denial, but it was just like, I almost compartmentalized it and was just like, that's just, I'm just going to put that away. But then I think that manifested itself in anger. Yeah. You know, and came out in other ways. It's really interesting how like people often say that underneath of anger is usually like pain or sadness you and I talk a lot about therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I yeah. feel like every time we have book club, you and I will tell like a story from therapy or be like, well, when I was talking to my therapist. Um, so I know you've been seeing your therapist for a long time, like 10 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. So you, did you start seeing her like shortly after your mom passed away? Yeah. Or? Yeah. So I was working, actually I had just started my job at the American Cancer Society I remember like looking it up and it's funny. We were actually just talking about this the other day because I recently had a baby and she was like, I can't believe you had a baby. Like we've been seeing each other for so long (laughs) that like now you're like, you're an adult and growing up. And I was like, yeah. And um, it was funny because she was like, I remember you coming into my office and and I said like, why do you think you need therapy? And she said, she remembers me saying, and I remember this too, that I just said, I just can't stop crying. And I think that that was, like, the thing that really brought me there. Yeah. Had you seen a counselor, like, before that? (laughs) So, actually, funny that we're talking about humor. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, and me and my sister have talked about this a bunch where, like, we, so I went to a counselor at college. Yeah. And this is not indicative of college counselors at all, but I went and I started to tell her my story and she was like, wow, wow, that's, that's awful. That's, wow. Like, and it was just like, 
not not yeah like not supportive and like actually my sister said she had a similar experience Mm -hmm. where she went to a therapist and the therapist started to tear up and like cry and like we remember both laughing and being like what like this is like first of all we were like we can't have the worst story you've ever heard like there's got to be worse out there number one but we just remember saying like this is like that's like not helpful right so um I think that um yeah I had seen I had like tried to see someone else and it just it wasn't she wasn't unhelpful but it wasn't like anything significant Mm -hmm. either yeah I feel like I had something similar where a therapist one time like was I felt like a little too um uh connected to what I was saying mm-hmm. or something like they were like oh like I don't remember exactly <laughs> what it was that he said or did but but you feel then like you're in a position where you need to like take care of that person mm-hmm. or you feel like oh shit like I guess this is really bad right, um, right. or whatever like it's just it's so interesting how something that you know the, the tiniest things that a therapist or, like, a counselor says or does can just, like, totally, I don't know. Yeah. Like, they, it can have a profound impact or can make it, like, really hard for you to feel safe with them or mm-hmm. trust them or want to go back to them. Yeah. It was, like, interesting because I think I appreciated her because I remember she, she asked that one question. You know, mm-hmm. why do you think you need to be here or why do you, why do you want to be in therapy? And then did not speak for, again for 45 minutes and I remember it was so awkward for me at first and I just like talked for a little bit and then I expected her to say something Mm -hmm. or probe and she didn't and then I just like kept going and then she I would stop again and then I'd be quiet for maybe like a full two minutes which is doesn't seem like a long time but really is and then I remember walking out but just already feeling better yeah um because she had just listened and I think that like she was just listening to you know all of the things that I had to say. And, and I think that made me trust her in a way of just like, you know, she obviously I'm sure she had opinions or thoughts or whatever, but she just kind of let me lay it all out. And then I felt like I could go back and like, okay, I could work with this lady. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's like a certain patience there. That's really important yeah. because sometimes you are with someone and they instantly want to be like, okay, so this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Or they like start telling you like, well, this is what I've done in a similar situation. Like I've, I have had therapists and heard friends talk about therapists who talk a little too much about like their own, the, about their lives and like situations they've been in and like what they've done or mm-hmm. what you should do. And it really kind of, um, I think it kind of strengthens that inclination that a lot of us already have to externalize and be like, okay, someone else has the answer you know, and I just need to find the right person and like, they'll tell me what to do. And Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you need that, but I feel like a lot of the time, especially with a long-term therapy relationship, like you're talking about so much of that is just you feeling like really seen and like held. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like, that's so life changing in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like too, it was just really helpful because I was so on guard because it's like I kept having these experiences where like I would go get a physical, right? And like I'd go to the doctor and they'd be like family history. And then it was the same conversation. Like I must have had this conversation six times where they would be like, 
your dad would be like deceased. How old was he? 47. How old were you? 13. That was young. Yeah, it was young. And then they'd be like, mom, deceased. <laughs> I'd be like, how old was she? 52. Oh, that's young. How old were you? 20. That's young. Like, yes, I know yeah. it's young. Like, can yeah. we move this along? Like, okay, you don't have to like beat me over the head with the fact that like I've had a little bit of a difficult time here. So I think with her, like not, not necessarily, like she made me feel safe by like not eat, like almost not not like I didn't want that validation at that point Mm -hmm. like I just wanted someone to just be like listen Mm -hmm. and make me feel a little bit more normal like I always felt like it was like I felt abnormal yeah Yeah. there's like a singling out there yeah that I feel like can happen a lot particularly in those situations like doctor's appointments and stuff where you want to say like surely you've seen a lot (laughs) like why are you surprised or like expressing your surprise like you see people every day and everyone has different stuff like yeah but there is something especially when you're feeling kind of vulnerable like Mm -hmm. you're you're in an exam room or something and you're sitting there and you're already kind of in a vulnerable position and yeah like yeah I think like actually more recently like as I go through milestones in my life obviously I like miss my parents and I feel those feelings in various ways again, but I almost feel relief sometimes to be older now Mm -hmm. because it's still like I'm 31 and it's still, I think a little unusual to not have parents by 31, but it's not what? Like, whereas like back then, like if I said I have parents, like I got a million questions and people wanted to know the story and like wanted to get into it. Whereas, like, now I almost feel like, okay, it's, like, slightly more normal that, like, maybe you wouldn't have parents by this age. And, like, it doesn't feel, I don't feel, like, so, like, the spotlight is on me. And it's uh, almost, it's interesting to have that feeling as time goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that, like, you already had this thing happen that's so shitty. And then... Yeah. (laughs) And then every single time... Yeah. It's, like, you have to go through... Just feeling mm-hmm. shitty when people like and, and taking care of other people who are upset by what you've told them or whatever. Oh my gosh, I'll never forget. I tell the story. So, again, we're talking about like humor in these morbid situations. And I we went to the funeral home for my mom's funeral. So, this was the second time we had been there. And you know, we did all of the stuff. And the funeral director on the way out kind of like catches up to us and my family and he hands us a pen. And he was like, I don't know what else to give you. Like, he, like, handed us, like, a funeral home, like, promo pen. Oh and I just remember laughing because I was just like, like, people are kind. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they mean well. Yeah. And they just, I think, at times just don't know what to do yeah. or say. And I think that's not just even, like, death. I think, you know, there are a lot of matters that people are just not comfortable talking about and and I'm not going to sit here and say that I've always said the right thing to people because I certainly haven't but it's like really funny how people react and they just I I find a lot of humor in that I'm I'm always curious about like long-term therapy relationships because sometimes like I know like I saw a therapist from the time I was 15 until I was 23 like super regularly in high school and then just kind of occasionally when I was in college and a little bit after college. And um, sometimes I feel like you get to a point with someone where, like, you've, like, kind of done all you can with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm curious, like, what has worked and, like, how that relationship has evolved, like, what it means for you. Yeah, I mean, I think a big thing for me was that 
actually, I don't have to retell the story over and over again, yeah. right? So, yeah. like, it's like she knows that uncle that's driving me nuts. She knows, you know, that, uh, like, all of my ins and outs, I guess I should say. Like, so it's kind of nice because I don't have to rehash that. And, like, sometimes we'll even joke and I'll just be like, okay, like, which issue is this? Can you just give me the answer? Like, just give me the answer, right? <laughs> is this my control issue? Is this my abandonment issue? Like, is this my insecurity? Like, what is it? Just tell me let's move on um and I think her honesty like really helps so like I'm a person I feel like I have a dominant personality in a lot of ways and but she's not like afraid to like challenge me like in terms of the fact that like she was like so like we talked about this before <laughs> like you know you're feeling this way like like you know how do you think you can resolve that and like I think she's like kind but fair in a way like she's just kind of like you have to um, like work through it, but also like never makes me feel dumb for having feelings and like understand. She just helps me understand how to like connect the dots um, in terms of like what I'm feeling and why I'm doing things because of those feelings. And so I think it's just really helpful in a long-term like therapy relationship because she just understands like all, all that I've gone through. Um, and so she can kind of help me see it even when I can't. Um, it's kind of like a romantic relationship yeah. sometimes where like, I'll be like, I feel like why things work with my husband is because he's like patient, but like challenge me, like challenges <laughs> yeah. me when I need to be challenged. And so like, I feel the same way about her. Like mm-hmm. she's patient and patient and patient. But then when like she needs to say something, she does. And like, you know, she helps me work through those things. Was she the first person that you, like when you decided to start seeing someone, was she the first therapist that you tried and you got really lucky or um, were there other people that you tried to see? I actually don't remember now. I'm not sure. I actually think she may have been the first because I remember the reason I went to her was that she was literally like two blocks away from my office and Mm. I would go at my lunch break. And so I would just like run over to her office. So I actually feel like she may have been the first one, but I'm not 100% sure. So you didn't have to date around too No, much. I guess not. I guess not. But I did have like that college counselor yeah, that yeah. I didn't really so love. you knew and, like yeah. enough to know like yeah. what wasn't right and what did feel right. Yeah. And I think too, like even with the one that I went to when I was like younger, like I feel like I also knew the timing had to be right. Like, you know... So my mom had already died maybe like a year and a half before I had started going, but I just knew like I wasn't in the right place to Mm kind of go. So I think learning that from the first therapist that I went to when I was like very young and then also like learning a little personality from the second one, like Mm -hmm. I kind of had a feeling that this would work out. So Yeah, Yeah. you and I were talking before about like, um, you know, you were saying that you... There are so many different relationships people can have to therapy Mm -hmm. and to a therapist and to whatever modality is being used in their therapy. And, like, um, and it is all, like, so specific from person to person. And we were just kind of talking about how you have to find a person that you really feel like you click with and you like this person's approach. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the irony is that for someone who's like really struggling, that can be so hard. Yeah. Because I mean, A, it can just be hard to like figure out where to turn to to like find a therapist. And yeah. like I mean like the health insurance stuff and paying yeah. for it and all that. Like there's just there's all of those hurdles. And then like 
I know for me recently, like I mentioned that I saw a therapist, um, you know, for a, a long time. And then in college, I did see a counselor for, for just for like a semester in school. And then, um, I was, I was, um, seeing like a, a therapist over Skype for a couple of months last year, which was like really helpful sometimes, but I think I really needed like a person to person connection. So I eventually told her like, cause things were just kind of getting worse and worse. And yet I don't think she even really realized it because I wasn't necessarily saying like, no, this is really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally I was like, yeah, I think I really need to see someone in person. So, um, I was, I would just use the psychology today. Um, is it psychology today? I think so. They're like directory. And I was just looking for someone like in my area who took my insurance, yeah. who had, who had listed, you know, anxiety as a specialty. And mm-hmm. like, I was looking for certain things in their approach and, it was like kind of overwhelming. I felt like someone using like Tinder or match.com yeah. or something. Cause I'm looking at all these profiles and I'm like trying to like the littlest things could be a turnoff. Yeah. Like I would kind of judge their, I know you shouldn't, this probably sounds bad, but I would judge their photo. Yeah. Not like what they looked like, but what photo they chose to represent them. Mm. Because if someone chose a photo where they're like not smiling yeah. and they like they have a crazy eyed look, I would just be like, I don't trust someone who chose that as their photo. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so like eventually I did see one woman who like I walked into the office and it was like really hot, like kind of messy. And she had a really big dog that she hadn't told me about. Mm. And I was like, what if I was afraid of dogs? Yeah. Yeah. And then she was kind of cold. Um, but I felt, but I was like, well, this is like fine though. She seems like smart and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't seem like bad. So like I went back for a second appointment <laughs> the next week and she kind of threw me into like some really upsetting yeah. stuff like immediately. Yeah. And I left just feeling, and like, and then it was like, okay, well, the 45 minutes are up. And I was like, okay, well, I'm really, like, not okay right now. Like, what do you suggest that I do? And she was just kind of like, just, like, you know, just kind of, like, chill and, like, do something nice for yourself. And I was like, okay. And I left, and I was just like, no. no. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we were talking about this earlier, too, where there's a few things that I just feel that, for me... I was just joking with you before, like, I don't think she's ever even said to me, like, hey, this is, like, your diagnosis. Like, I just like to think that I'm endearingly neurotic, right? Like, I don't have anything really wrong with me. But I I was saying earlier to you that I think, like, I do feel that I thought about this before we started talking of, like, mental health is obviously very serious and can really run the gamut in terms of the type of help you need. And so, I mean, I think really... It's like if you were someone who was experiencing a physical, you know, issue, you would have to trust your medical provider, your medical doctor. And it's like the same when it comes to therapy. Like you need to trust and believe in that they are credible and can help you with like the issues that you're having. And so like if you're not comfortable, like then, you know, that's that's something that you really should consider. 
before like continuing on. And it's good that you like could identify that. And it's, I'm sorry that you had to deal with that, but um, my therapist has a dog though. And I love the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was very (laughs) upset because I, of course, love this dog. And every week when I go, she allows me to feed the dog a treat, but the dog doesn't want anything to do with me. Like after I feed it the treat, she just runs away. I get like two seconds of petting in and then the dog is gone. Well, then one day I open up the door and the next patient is coming in and the dog bounds down the hallway to the patient and is jumping up and down all over the patient. So excited. So I just looked at my therapist, but my time was up. So I left. So I come back next week and she's like, before you even start, I need you to know that patient brings the dog special treats every week. And that's why the dog loves that patient. And I was like, look, now we have to sit here and I have to pay you to talk about why your dog doesn't like me. Like, you know, I'm an insecure person. This is not okay. Like, why does your dog not love me? Why doesn't anyone love me? And she's like, you're spiraling. Give the dog a treat and sit down. It's fine. Like, I love that she knew. Yeah, she knew. Yeah. Let's yeah. See, that's like really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That, like clearly she gets you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. I feel like, like it can be so hard to date around with therapists and like tell one that you don't want to see them again. If like yeah. the issue that you're dealing with is like, I don't know how to like set boundaries and you know, I have a hard time saying no to people. Yeah. And, and if you're already like depressed or anxious or whatever, and everything feels so hard, it can feel so hard to, like do that work of actually finding the right person and like saying no. And for me, like I felt, it also felt like you were saying, like it's dating. Like I was like, okay, I don't want to see this therapist again. Like, how do I tell her that? Like, do I have to call? Can I text? Can I ghost (laughs) her? Can I just say like, Oh, you know what? I can't come on Tuesday anymore. And then just like never make another appointment. And so like, I decided to go the middle way of like, okay, I don't necessarily have to call her and be like, you are not right for me. I'm going to text her and say, I think I'm going to, you know, like go in a different direction. Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember how I phrased it exactly. It's not you. It's me. (laughs) Yeah. I texted her something like, you know what? I'm actually going to, you know, I might have said I'm going to, I'm going to move forward with someone else or something like that. Um, well, and I think what's really hard about that is what we were saying earlier is like, whatever the reason you're going, it's like, it's painful maybe for you to have to retell that over and over again. And there are people who have experienced like some really significant trauma yeah. and then like you have to kind of quote unquote date around, but yep. maybe you're not emotionally prepared to do that. Yeah. And so maybe you just don't go. And yeah. like, I think that's like hard that it's really difficult. It is. And it, it really gave me a lot of empathy, more empathy for people who struggle because with um, therapy, because like I got pretty lucky in that when I was in high school and like really struggling and um, decided to see a therapist, like she was pretty, I think she was like the first one and we did click well, and it did go well. And so I was always kind of like, therapy's great. Why would anyone not want to go? Mm-hmm. And I was also younger, you know. Um, and now, like, after having this experience where it was, it took so long for me to just, like, winnow down a list of people, find someone who took my insurance, who was nearby, get an appointment, get into the appointment, have the first appointment where you just, like, word vomit, like, everything. Yeah. They try to get to know you. And then have a second one where she kind of dove right into like some of the worst, like something just really upsetting to me. And then, yeah, it was like, I don't want to go through this again. Like, yeah. I don't want to talk about that again. Like, yeah. I don't want to have to tell someone that again. I don't want to have to. 
and and I'm scared that it's going to be someone else who like makes me feel worse. Um, so that was really disheartening. Mm-hmm. And then, but I, I got back on the horse eventually, <laughs> and I had a really good feeling about this one person from her profile. Just like the photo that she had was like a, she looked very warm. And um, the modalities and, like, her her little statement. Because you can tell a lot from, like, the statement that they choose to give, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone's like, I'm going to increase your productivity at work, you know? I'm like, nope. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy surfing Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, like, you know, then with her, I was just kind of like, it was very similar where I just really felt like she was listening. And she instantly was, like, reflecting reflecting me back to me Mm -hmm. in a very like kind of like in a very kind way like I was so for some reason I because I think in previous therapy like uh I was really sensitive to feeling like I was being scolded Mm -hmm. and I just didn't want like I feel like the voice in my head is scolding me all the time and I constantly feel like I messed up I'm not doing enough like I constantly have this scolding voice. And so occasionally with a previous therapist, like I would feel like she would kind of lapse into scolding sometimes like, well, Victoria kind of like, well, mm-hmm. when you said, you know, we've talked about this, like <laughs> that made my like, <sighs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. that made me instantly feel tense because I understand like there's a voice in my head of like people I know in my life who are like toughen up, stop being so sensitive. We've been through this, move on, get over it. Or like, come on, it's time to, We've talked about this and that's the voice in my head. And I was like, you know, and I have always thought like, well, that's what I need. I just need tough love. I deserve that. Like I need to, I need to just stop being so sensitive. And then finally now I was just like, you know what, actually I need some really kind person who's going to be like, and I'm not saying your therapist isn't kind or that like, that's not like, but for me right now, I was like, I just need to go to a space where I know this person's just going to be like, like she, she was just like, you know, I would describe something and I would never use the word lonely, but she would be like, that just sounds so lonely. Mm. And I would just instantly tears would spring to my eyes. And I'd yeah. be like, yeah, <laughs> it is really lonely. <laughs> like, That's the word proud for me. If somebody says like your parents would be proud of you, uh, I just like lose it yeah. instantly. Yeah, but I think it's like any relationship where like you also have to like it, you need like a. Uh, a chemistry in a way so like I feel like okay so I did say that as an example but like I think she would never say that to me in an inappropriate time and so I think that's why it works like so if I'm just like sitting there complaining about like the same thing that like I complain every week she'd be like all right well like you need to kind of push through that so like Mm -hmm. why like get to the root of like why she doesn't use these exact words but you know, so I think that's what helps me in those instances. But if I'm sitting there, like, crying, she's not like, all right, Jessica, like, the time is up, so yeah. you're going to have to, like, beat it. Um, so I think that it, like, also depends on just, like, they, I think that's what I feel is good about knowing someone for so long is, like, they can also kind of, like, read you and, like, read your emotions yeah. in, in a way. And so that's, like, helpful. And I think the other piece of it is just, like, 
So I've been going there for 10 years yeah. and like now it's like my favorite thing of the week. Like <laughs> yeah. I go literally have a little ritual, like she's 45 minutes away and I make the drive anyway. Mm. Cause like now I'm in a different office and she's in a different office. And so I go 45 minutes one way to go see her. I get coffee and a Panera breakfast sandwich once <laughs> a week. It's my treat. I get like a 32 ounce coffee. So I go, go in like nice and hyped up for the session, you know, <laughs> I, um, I sit there, I pet her dog. Like I said, we have a little ritual with the dog and like all as well. But like, I took me a really long time to get there. Like yeah. there were many a session where I just sat there and like cried the whole time or like yeah. had like a really difficult time. And like, or there were also a lot of sessions where like, I didn't want to put the work in. And yeah. so I complained about something superficial yeah. and I killed 45 minutes because yeah. I just couldn't emotionally do it that day. Yeah. Right. So like, I think it like also depends on like what you can give like it is taxing sometimes and so I think it definitely there are years that it's been better there are years that it's been worse and like I think now I just I feel she was on vacation for three weeks and me and my husband and my best friend were all like when is she coming back (laughs) like like she needs to come back because like we all feel it like we're all ready for Jessica to go back because like it just makes me feel good right and I think that like you have to feel good leaving or else it's not probably working. And I don't mean that every single week you need to leave feeling good because there are times it's not, but it's like, you know, progress isn't necessarily linear, but like ultimately the result is that you want to feel better. And I think that's why I feel it's been successful is because it's helped me. And, you know, I think it's, it really depends on the person. Yeah. And I think like if you leave and you're, and you don't feel better, you need to know that, when you go in the next time, like you can tell them that and you can tell them why. Yeah. Like we had some, I had something, I've only been seeing this therapist for like, I guess since late April. So about three months. Um, and at one point, like she brought something up towards the end that was a very upsetting thing for me. And I, I kind of was like, um, I don't want to talk about that with only like a couple of minutes to go. Mm. And she like apologized and, you know, um, and when I came in the next, so I didn't feel like, even though, you know, we didn't get into it and she apologized, like it was rattling kind of. Mm -hmm. And the next time I came in, she instantly was like, so how did, how did you, how are you feeling after I brought that thing up? Like right at the end. Mm -hmm. And she's always very clear about like, you can tell me if I, say something that upsets you or, you know, I feel very much like I don't have to take care of her. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like in the past, I remember I saw a counselor when I was in college who like, I really liked him, but I didn't feel like I was necessarily doing better, but I kind of felt bad. Like I didn't want him to think he wasn't doing a good job. So I was kind of like, yeah, no, I'm doing better. (laughs) Um, Do you ever struggle with like, Anything like that with your therapist where you're like, I don't want her to feel bad about this or... No, I think I feel the opposite sometimes of like, I get upset that like, we're not just like buddies hanging out, talking around a coffee table. Like, I'm like, I wonder if like, I'm her favorite client. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, does she take notes on me when she leaves? Like, when I leave? Like, how does this all work? Like, I find myself like being a little bit narcissistic around it, I guess, if I'm being honest. like No, I am too. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I guess I don't necessarily feel, maybe because 
I guess maybe it's a good, there's good boundaries established. So I, I feel that like, again, over the time, like we know personal things about each other, but it never feels unprofessional, never feels too far. And so like, I guess I've never had to feel that way where like, Mm -hmm. I feel that I'm emotionally taking care of her or something like that. Um, like, you know, there are times where she's reached out, like someone in her family was diagnosed with cancer. And so she was like, Hey, do you have any information about this? Mm. And, but then it, that was like it, you know, Mm -hmm. it was kind of just like appropriate. And I asked how the person was doing and she gave an update and we kind of like moved on. So it's not impersonal, but I think it's also never been blurred, like a blurred line. Um, so I've never, yeah, I've never had to feel that I need to take care of her or like feed into any of that emotional like warfare there. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. No, but that I definitely have that too, where I'm like, I think actually sometimes with therapists, like I've been like, I don't want to disappoint you mm. or, um, I don't know. I guess because I've always been so interested in like psychology and people's inner lives and mm-hmm. stories. Like clearly, I'm doing this podcast. Yeah. And, like, you know, I studied English, and and so I'll kind of go in there, and I feel like I do intellectually have a lot of insight. But so I can talk about things like with insight, and I'll feel sometimes like the person will be like wow, you're so smart, you know? And then it's like, I feel like I don't, I don't want to, I want them to see me that way. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying like, I think I'm so smart. Like intellectually, I feel like I can often have a good sense of like what's going on, but like the way that I'm actually living doesn't match that at all. So we say that constantly. I say that constantly to her. I say all the time, like, intellectually yes. I understand <laughs> yeah. what's going yeah. on yeah. emotionally yeah. I, I it's not making sense right yeah. like I get it I get that I hypothetically feel this way because of x y and z <laughs> right. or shouldn't feel this right. way because of x y and z but like I'm still feeling that yeah. way um you know and I think one of the things that she's kind of taught me is to just like sit with those feelings yeah. like it's okay like to have those feelings and you know, the more you try and resist those feelings, at least for me, yeah. is when it just continues to escalate. Um, so I think that we do have that conversation of a lot of like, we get, I get it, but yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not clicking. Um, and I, I often think like, does she go home and just like, mouth off to her husband of like this girl like how many times do I have to tell her oh you know and I I like you know just like how sometimes we go home from work and complain like does she go home from work and complain um and I think that I think about that a lot actually it probably shouldn't no but but there's like it's this meta thing where like it's a relationship like any other relationship I mean it's 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 unique but it is a relationship and Mm -hmm. so like you're going to bring your whole self to it and like, you're going to approach it in the way that you approach other relationships. So like for me, always trying to be pleasing and like not disappoint anyone. I'm going to do that with my therapist too. So like, I've been really pushing myself to like be honest about like how I'm actually doing and, and even be honest about fears like that. Like, well, I'm actually kind of worried you're going to be disappointed in me, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And, um, yeah. I have had those conversations with her where I, I think that is kind of the benefit of going to therapy. And I joke a lot. My husband jokes and he's like, because he's very involved in hearing me complain. He's therapist number two. And so 
He'll say all the time, like, oh, God, please, if somebody's going to do something to you, please let it be on a Tuesday night because you go to therapy on Wednesday, yeah. right? Like, so he's just like, I just need it to happen on a Tuesday night. Because, like, I'll, but the point being is that I think with therapy is that you do have that chance to reflect because, it, for me, at least, it's not, like, an instant thing, right? Like, I'm not instantly going to her every time something happens. Right. So, like, I do have that chance to reflect. And there are times where I'll sit down and I have to be honest with her and say, I'm saying it to you this way now. I did not yeah, say it that yeah, way yeah, then, yeah. like, right? Like, I was a total bitch when I said it yeah. the first time. Can I say bitch? On yeah, this yeah, yeah, Okay. <laughs> like, I think I've crossed yeah. the explicit line. Okay. So. I'll get a little E next to this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, or, like, I, I really do have to be on. Like, I think, again, it's what you put into it is what you'll yeah. get out of it. If yes. you sit there and lie. Well, I shouldn't say lie because that's making an assumption. But if you sit there and aren't open and maybe true to yourself, yeah. then, like, you know, that's not going to benefit you. And yeah. it's not really going to address the issue. So I think I it's hard when you're you to put to feel vulnerable. And I think you have to have, like, courage to be vulnerable. Yeah. And so um, I think that... Um, it's kind of courageous to go to therapy, but at least that's what I tell myself. So no, I think it is. (laughs) And like, I, it is. And I think, you know, like I remember the, the first session I had with this, this woman, like towards the end, she was like, I was telling her about all of my anxiety. And again, I was saying it in this very like intellectually, I understand, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. She was like, well, I have to say you seem really calm and you know, um, you don't seem anxious at all. And I was like, I'm extremely anxious right this second. Yeah. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, no, like I'm extremely anxious right now. Yeah. And, um, that wasn't like part of me wanted to just be like, Oh, I seem great. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's good. I guess it's good that I seem great to other people and just move along. But like, no, I'm at a point now where it's like, it's not about how I seem on the outside. I want to feel better on the inside. Yeah. And, and it just takes this constant, like, there are all these little choices in therapy where, you know, you could be, you could kind of let them believe. Yes. Yes. I, I responded to that very well. And like, and especially if they're like, wow, that sounds like great progress or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I joke, I was like, I wonder if there's like a network where like, I feel like we should be able to like call in like family and friends should be able to leave like anonymous like (laughs) messages to like like, their family and friends therapists. Like this is not how she's being, (laughs) not being like that. She's lying to you. Like, cause I do, I think you have, you can, you can sit there and, and weave a different story if you want. And so. But again, it kind of comes back to just that idea of like, but like, what do you get out of that? Like with the, with the time and the money that it costs to go, like, you know, it's only beneficial to yourself to put the work in behind it. And I think that's like, I feel like in a good place. And I said that to my therapist the other day, like, I just feel like, I don't know how it happened, but like, I just feel like really in a good place. Like, and for a few years I felt like that, not just recently. And she's like, well, I do like you put in the work, like you, if you put in the work for it, you know, the emotional heavy lifting, then that's how it gets better. What do you think is one of the biggest things that feels a lot better now that when you went in is something you would have thought like, Oh, I'm always just gonna be this way or struggle with this thing in Mm. this way. That's a good question. Um, I think just the understanding to be um, nicer to myself, yeah. like just not being so self-critical um, and just kind of challenging that, whether that's um, doubting myself 
in a day-to-day function or just doubting my emotions or um, things along those lines. I think I've learned that like I'm a competent person and that I'm, I hate to use the word normal, but like, I think that I always felt so extreme mm-hmm. and like now I just feel a little bit more like valid in my own feelings. And even if my feelings don't seem quote unquote normal, like they're mine and mm-hmm. that's what I'm feeling. And like, you know, she kind of helped me to see that, um, that's okay to like be okay with myself more. One of the most helpful things in therapy is that normalizing aspect. Mm-hmm. Like it's incredible how, when someone can just be like, do you know how many people come in here and say that? Like, and you think, oh, I'm the only freak walking around. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm the only person who feels this bad about this or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like that normalizing aspect, I feel like is really important. And, and it sounds like you have someone who like, in giving you space, like is allowing you to, to like come more into your own. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think just, I think also just kind of understanding, like, for me, so that a lot of the issue was around grief. And I think just also understanding that, like, grief is very cyclical sometimes. Mm. Like, you know, it's been, I have to do the math, but like, I think like 18 years since my dad died, 11 since my mom died. And yet there are times that I feel like still sad, but... Mm -hmm. Like, I used to beat myself up when I felt Mm. that way. And, like, that would just make me feel worse. And so, like, I would be sad for, like, a month instead of just crying for one day and moving on. Like, I would just keep, like, sitting in it and not letting myself just feel the way I needed to feel. And so I think that it's, for me, that's, like, a really important lesson of Mm -hmm. of just kind of, like, understanding that feelings are okay. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean... I think for me, like the default feeling was always anger or like repression, right? So it's like I needed to kind of balance it out and just address it. And I think she's kind of helped me do that. Yeah, I think similarly for me, like when I started to feel really anxious again, um, and maybe anxiety kind of happens cyclically too. I don't know for people who who struggle with it like throughout throughout their lives. Yeah. Um, I was like attaching so much to like, why is this happening again? And mm-hmm. oh no, this is so bad that yeah. I feel this way again. Yes. And like, oh no, like, yeah, like kind of like you were saying how some people can get stuck in the why is something yeah. bad happening um, versus just like, okay, it is happening. Um, I don't have to like, I don't have to think of it as like this terrible, horrible thing that I'm feeling anxious in this moment. I can just recognize it. Yeah. And respond accordingly um and something that like this new therapist has been doing with me a lot is when I say something just she'll say like okay so just notice that Mm -hmm. it's not you just notice that and at first I was like okay yeah notice that (laughs) 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 but now I hear her and I don't mean to mock her she's the most lovely person ever but you know like sometimes you just feel that resistance to things where you're like that sounds great but how do I do that and like I don't even know what that means (laughs) But now, like, in a moment, I hear her voice saying, okay, so just notice that. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but, like, I I really feel so safe with her, and I really like her so much that I I see her face or I hear her voice, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was in a uh, on a trip in New Hampshire with Martin, and we decided to, like, stop off the side of the road and, like, wait, put our feet in this river 
And he decided to just like kind of like jump in. And I was like, mm, I'm not going to because like I have anxieties about all sorts of like, well, what if there's bacteria in the water yeah. and like, like whatever anxiety was like, Ooh, that was spontaneous. I don't know <laughs> yeah, about yeah. that. <laughs> and I thought about seeing her in a couple of like the next week and telling her about the trip. And I thought about saying I didn't go in the river or saying, and you know what? I decided to, to go in the river mm-hmm. and how she would respond. It's not that she would be disappointed in me or anything like yeah. that. But I pictured me saying, and so you know what? I jumped in the river. And her just being like, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's actually a part of me mm-hmm. that I'm able to personify with her. Yes. So I think it's like really interesting. And I think something that you touched on that's really important is like, for me, my parents were a very interesting combination of like extremely critical, but extremely proud. And so that I think bred a lot of need for external validation. And so I think for me, I had to be really careful not to fall into this like trope of like, she's validating me. Like I needed, I, so I've really like what you just said about like, it was about what, what part of me I cared to like play in that story. Um, or like how I want to see myself in this like scenario as opposed to like, and I knew my therapist would be proud (laughs) if like I did X, Y, and Z. Um, because I think for like, for a lot of people that, that can, um, trip them up. Yeah. 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 It was not, it's like, cause I know no matter what, she'll be like fine with it and she'll still, you know, it's not like she's going to be disappointed or scold me or whatever, but just knowing that actually there's a part of me that wants to jump into life. Mm -hmm. So I went in the river and it was great. And then when I, I did, yeah, it was lovely. (laughs) Um, And then like when I saw her, I told her like, I, pictured myself talking to you like I actually yeah. told her that and um well I think the reason you know we started talking about this is because like I quote my therapist like mm-hmm. on a daily basis and I should probably like, acknowledge her like maybe that would make her feel good <laughs> like TM. and like I sometimes there are many times I'm very open about it but sometimes I'll be like like so like one time my friend yeah. aka my therapist <laughs> yeah. told me like and um I do I find myself like practicing that and I think that you know, that is a thing, like, you have to kind of, like, rewire your brain sometimes. Yeah. At least for me, that's how it's ha- had to be, like, when the initial, like, default was anger or grief or whatever, like, maybe yours is anxiousness, like, how do you kind of, like, pause and say, okay, I'm acknowledging this, but, like, I'm not going to let it go farther than mm-hmm. that. Um, and, and take a little bit of that control back if you can. I mean, I've been able to kind of work on that a little bit. I know everybody's different, but yeah. yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, so there are two things I feel like come up in every therapy session, which is like, there's the choice at the beginning of what should I talk about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's the thing at the end where you're aware that it's like wrapping up and like, Mm -hmm. it's just when you're starting to cry or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) How do you deal with the beginning and the ending? Um, yeah that's a good question there are times like I'll be honest where like I'm just like not even that I don't want to emotionally do the work but sometimes I'm just like this week was calm I feel okay like I don't think I have anything to like talk about like and then sometimes I'll just kind of say like and that's all I got like and it'll be like 15 minutes early and she'll be like well do you want to talk about like anything else and like we'll maybe like chit chat like you know um, that doesn't happen often, but, like, I do think there are times where, like, at the beginning of the session, I kind of sometimes have to think about, like, what am I going to talk about? Um, and I think even, like, I think even when I have 
things that I really want to talk about. Before I get there, I sometimes need to take a step back and make sure I'm talking about me in this situation and not other people and how they're affecting me, if that makes sense. Because like, I think there are a lot of times where I can say, I was really mad at this person and this person has all these problems and this is why this person annoys me and this person and this person and this person. I can spend the whole session talking about them, but the therapist isn't there to evaluate them. She's there to help me, right? So sometimes I feel like in a way I do a little like mental Mm pre-work before I get there of like, how am I going to frame this so that it's beneficial for me? Like, it's not going to benefit me to just trash talk someone who's bothering me that week, right? It's like, why is that person bothering me? Or, you know, why am I feeling a certain way this week and and going from there? Um, so I think that's kind of how I go into it. And then, there have been some awkward times where I've been like mid-sob and she's just like, all right, I'm like really sorry to do this. And I was like, it's okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, it's fine. Like, for the longest time I felt embarrassed to take a tissue. She like always had tissues, <laughs> yeah. but I was like embarrassed to take a tissue. And so finally she was like, please take a tissue. <laughs> like, um, but for me, it's like kind of the opposite with the beginning of the session where I might feel like I have like, a couple of things that are burning yeah. topics and I have to choose like which one yeah. to um, at least lead with. Mm-hmm. And there has been a, like this was kind of big for me too. There was a time recently where like halfway through I was like, you know what? I don't really actually want to be talking about this. Mm. I actually really want to be talking about this other thing. Yeah, And just being like, it's my therapy session. Yes. Yeah. This is no skin off of her back. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't even have to make sense. It doesn't have to be linear. Like, um, I don't have to be telling a linear narrative in yeah. this session. I can, even if something jogs my memory and it's like, it seems unrelated, um, I can make that choice to go down that path. Like, yeah. whatever feels, like, right for me, rather than feeling like, well, I started talking about this thing. I must, I have to, like, keep talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it's chronological. Like, I think, like, you know, there are times, like, I'll talk about my parents, or there are times that I'll just talk about things that are happening in my life now as your life evolves. Obviously, so do your thoughts. And so I think it's, for me, like, I'll, sometimes I'll talk about, like, how I feel as a new mom or, like, yeah. you know, how I feel, like, about different things that personally affect me. And so it's not always just about, like... I think people think they have to, like, go in and just, like, constantly talk about the past. And mm-hmm. I don't think that it, like, has to necessarily be that way. Um, and I think for me, yeah, I don't know. I guess I've never really had... I mean, I've had a couple of instances where I've been, like, crying and then I have to, like, leave. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, it's, like, almost like a walk of shame where, like, you hope you don't see, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the next person who's coming in. And, like, they're like, why is that girl crying? Um, but I think you're right about just like owning it of just like, it is your session. It's like what you're there for and their job is to to help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly, like we were talking about before, that means if you don't, if their approach doesn't work for you, like you don't have to feel like you should be taking a certain approach. Like you and I were talking beforehand about, um, I was, I talked to someone for the podcast recently who said, you know, mindfulness wouldn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And that's something that like a lot of people would are a lot of people see as like, no, but that's the answer, you know, but you have to like, a lot of it is about taking like really honest inventory, um, and being intentional. Like I like that you talked about doing a little bit of like pre-work kind of before the therapy session of like kind of taking stock and thinking about what will benefit you the most truly. I'm curious, like what have you, 
gotten from your therapeutic relationship or through therapy that you want to bring to motherhood now? So I think one of the things that I was taught, we were talking about this earlier too. Um, we, we had dinner earlier for the people who are listening. <laughs> Delicious uh, <laughs> pasta and meatballs. It's great. Thank you, Jess. Um, I think one of the things that I learned is like I was saying in my life a lot, I have like a lot of like control issues where like, because my parents died, I feel I have to like control a lot of the things around me so that like that doesn't happen again. I mean, obviously not so, um, tan, like, uh, tangible. Right. But like, I think a lot of things kind of go back to that. And so it's very interesting though, like through therapy, I kind of feel like I've learned that, like I'm not going to be a perfect mom and my kid's not going to be perfect and I can't control that. And so like I felt an odd calmness <laughs> about being a mom that I have never really felt in a lot of like other aspects of my life. And I think like, you know, understanding that like my child is going to be her own person and her own personality with her own feelings and desires and needs. Like that's different from me, even though she's my daughter, like I can't control those things. And like, I think having an understanding of like my own feelings also helps me to understand that like, she'll also be experiencing things in her own way and like seeing things through her own lens. And so it's interesting, like talking about that stuff, you know, in therapy. And then like, we also talk a lot just about like how, like I was very close with my mom, but there were also things that I don't think I would do that she did as a mother, like nothing like horrible, but just things that having had the chance to reflect on them, I would do differently. And so it's interesting talking through some of those with my therapist as well and kind of getting a better understanding. Uh, I think because like my parents like, died when I was younger, like, even though I was 20 when my mom died, like, we never had conversations about, like, kids, right? Yeah. Like, I was, like, specifically not trying to have children, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, that was, like, a topic that never came up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, like, interesting thinking about motherhood through an adult lens, like, without having my parents around to yeah. talk to them about it. And so, like, I talk a lot about that in therapy, too. Mm. Yeah. So, this might be kind of related, but as... You might know, I typically end by asking the guest a certain question, which is, what is something that you are learning about or growing into right now? And it doesn't have to be related to anything we've talked about. It could literally be like, I've started uh, brewing my own kombucha. Yeah. That's not what it's going to be. <laughs> and actually, I've never had kombucha. I'll have to try it. Um... <laughs> So somewhat related is like, I think I'm starting to be confident. That's a thing that's never happened to me before. It's very odd. It's a very <laughs> weird feeling for me. Um, I love it. Yeah, I'm still not there. I'm going to give that <laughs> disclaimer. Um, I'm still not there, but I think I'm growing into not giving a shit anymore. Yeah, yeah like, I great. don't know if that's an age thing or a maturity thing or... Um, whatever. Ten years of therapy. Yeah, ten years of therapy. Good therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get limited sleep now, so like maybe I don't want to expend like energy on those things. But no, I mean I'm joking. But I think that like I do have a newfound sense of appreciating myself, um, which I don't think I ever really took stock in before. And like, I think I still struggle to see like. I think I still struggle sometimes to see like why 
people like me, <laughs> like why I'm valuable. But I think that's what I'm growing into. I think I'm starting to see those things and I think have a more accurate perspective on myself. Mm. Like I think that there are like a lot of times where I'll see myself in a much more negative way than other people see me. Um, and so this might sound arrogant. I hope it doesn't sound arrogant, no. but like, yeah, but I think that is what I've been experiencing more lately um, of just like being more real about myself. Like I'm able to do that with other people. Like I'm able to do that with my friends and see the positive in people that way. And so I'm learning to see the positive in myself more too. I love that. It doesn't sound arrogant at all. Yeah. It sounds like <laughs> everything that I would wish for every human being, you yeah. know, like, and something I definitely relate to that. And I feel like I'm just starting to dip a toe into that, like that sense of what you're talking about of like, I similarly, I'm always like, I don't, I think a lot, that's where a lot of my anxiety ha- comes from often is like, um, if X, Y, or Z happens, like no one is going to love me anymore. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Like, cause deep, <laughs> da- like deep down. Oh yeah. I feel that no. <laughs> to my core. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I get it. And I do, um, I mean, I think you're just great (laughs) in every way. Um, I also just think listening to a lot of Lizzo helps with that. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Just listening to soulmate. Oh my God. Every morning. Good as hell is my anthem. Yep. It's just so good. (laughs) That and Jonathan Van Ness, I think also. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And queer eye in general. But him in particular, there's something about him that is just so like, oh, he just like, the way he he is able to see like the beauty in every person. Well, and, I think it's the authenticity of both of those people. Yeah. Like they're both very true to themselves. Yes. You know, and I think that is something that I think is coming along with that process of appreciating myself. It's just like, I am who I am. Like, you know, I was saying the other day, it's like, I hate driving into the city. And for years I would be like, no, it's okay. I'll do it. But then for the week leading up to it, I would be anxious. And like, you know, my sister lives in the city. And so this is why it comes up. And like, she'll joke and be like, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, finally, I just accepted I hate, I hate driving it. into the city. Yeah. Like, I hate it. Like, I like the city. I like being in the city. I don't want to drive to the city, yeah. right? Okay? So, like, I think it's, like, even as little as those things, like, alleviate some of that anxiety and pressure to, like, be who I'm not. And it's, yeah. like, if when I can have more time to be genuine, then I think I like myself more and people will like me more, too. Yeah. And so, it's funny because I think with Jonathan Van Ness and Lizzo and, like, Ilana Glazer, I'll throw her in there. Oh, like, yeah. like, all of these yes. people yes. who are just, like different than what you perceive to be maybe normal, but then they're really just authentic. And that's why people love them and flock to them. And it's exactly those things that make them just awesome. Yeah. 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 (sighs) Thank you for being you. Thanks. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.